Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Econ Americas podcast, where we share under the radar investment opportunities from countries across our big continent in North America, Central America, and South America. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, you name it. If this is the first time you are listening to this show, Econ Americas is a startup research firm that provides financial and economic intelligence. I am Daniel Duarte, editor at Econ Americas, and in this episode, we'll be discussing what Honduras has to offer investors. I am joined by Guillermo Peña. He's an old acquaintance of Econ Americas. He's a political analyst and economist based in San Pedro Sula. He's also managing partner of Blackbird Media Group, a brand strategy firm and the technical secretary for Orchidia Sede. He has worked with think tanks in North Carolina, London, and Honduras. Guillermo, thank you so much for coming on the show. Daniel, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be on. Sure, Guillermo. And we always start our conversation when, you know, with a brief overview of the country we are covering uh, to get our listeners up to speed. So please tell us a bit about uh, Honduras, its economy, uh, the major industries, actors, and, uh, you know, um, the business partners that it has abroad. Well, Honduras as the as the only country in Central America that has most of its economy based on the Caribbean side, our major area of influence is uh, the eastern coast and southern United States uh, as, as our one of our main export areas and, and areas of influence also uh, through investment. But it's important to put in perspective the country in a longer term more than just where we are. We've definitely been in a, in a weird year and a half like the rest of the world has. But uh, if we go back to 2009, uh, which is when we had um, a, polit- a large political problem uh, caused instability in the country for a good while, uh, where a, a, a president was removed. And uh, since then, months later, we had an election. Uh, and since then, we have had uh, three elections. Uh, and now going on to the fourth election, which happened, uh, they, they've all been as according to plan on on uh, the time period as established in the Constitution. Um, and now they're going into this fourth election after that political hiccup, which would end up, I would expect, closing a period of instability. But uh, that instability, like any opportunity that all opportunities that come after after big problems, allowed us to participate in a lot of reforms in the country in, in strategic sectors um, that were very important for the economy and for, st- for the stability of the economy in, uh, on the investment attraction side. And uh, that has been uh, one of them. Uh, one of the main reforms was the, the creation of the special economic zones uh, known as uh, CEDES, Zonas de Empleo y Desarrollo Económico, uh, which have been controversial but have attracted a lot of international attention for the country. Another big sector that was reformed during that period was the education system. And third major reform was the energy sector. In the ZEDES and energy are both areas that I've been um, working on uh, since the reform happened. And, uh, and the main sectors, I guess, in the economy would be we are sadly have, you would say that the, the largest influx of capital coming in uh, for, from is, is, is from remittances, representing some, some years up to 20 to 21% of GDP. And that's mostly coming in remittances from the US and Spain that would account for over 90% of the remittances. But besides that situation, uh, the country is uh, an exporter of manufacturing goods, 
and agricultural products as as the main industries um, and the service sector growing every year more uh, having a, but we're still very on we're, we're still on early stages in the financial sector and and expecting uh, infrastructure to be a big part of the economy in the future we haven't had uh, the strongest growth in the country happened back in 2007 and 2008 and since then we have not been able to reach a six percent over a six percent growth but during that time uh, or at least since 2011 12 uh, we've had international agreements with the IMF regarding monetary stability, inflation control, and opening certain sectors that were considered monopoly sectors or um, areas of the economy that were controlled by by government entities, government companies. So that has been the main reform and the stability has come through those arrangements with the IMF, which allowed the country to also stabilize and be able to start placing uh, sovereign bonds back in international markets, which, which, which hadn't happened at least for 30, 40 years before uh, that happened again in, in, in 20, 2011. And since then, we've done three or four placements of uh, sovereign bonds every time with lower interest rates, which is a good signal for the for investors. So our main topic today is Ceres, of course, and they have also been called uh, charter cities or startup cities. And I think it's one of the most exciting social experiments around and it's happening in Honduras of all places. But uh, many have never heard of them. So why don't you briefly explain what Zetas are, what is the purpose of them, and why were they necessary in a country like Honduras? And we'll get into the details in a few minutes. So just a foundation for listeners. The basis is Honduras, like much of Latin America, have um, weak institutions. And, we, and, and because of that, a weak rule of law. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard to bring institutional uh, investment to the region. Uh, that's been a, a, a traditional behavior in Latin America. Uh, so through that idea and after the political problem in 2009, that's when the opportunity happened, where even politicians and those in Congress and in, at Presidential Palace and from all parties had to reevaluate what they were doing in politics and how um, that affected their country and what they really wanted. And that's where the idea came from to do these. We could say there's there's different ways to reform a country. One is do a straight up na national reform or toppling a government uh, or a new constitution, which that brings in, which we know that brings for instability for quite a couple of years after. Then another another way is to do the piecemeal reform process, which is little by little and which has been the traditional way of building nations uh, for a long time. And then this third way, which we say is uh, it's let's 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 do wish list areas in which we can um, allow for major reform to happen, not only on the fiscal front, but special economic zones with competitive governance structures, which allow for the best rules to come out and then those be implemented in the rest of the country through example and not through political force as other national reforms have to be done. So that was the idea. And uh, I would I would say there's there's different views uh, on people on the project, but in general, I would say that these fall under the the free zone industry, which is there's over 4,000 free zones in the world. Uh, there's different categories of free zones. I would say this falls under the special economic zones category, where where it's not only fiscal but other regulatory behavior that is also differentiated from the rest of the country. So that's that's where I would place citizen. 
Exactly. So what uh, makes ZERES unique is that they not only have, you know, tax incentives like many special economic zones have, but they also can enjoy a large degree of autonomy in rulemaking, policymaking, and even, uh, I believe, in uh, lawmaking, if I'm correct. What does the ZERES framework allow developers in Honduras to, to achieve? One of the first things I'd say is that it, it's a predictable uh, legal framework in which to work under for um, for, for many decades in the, in, in the future. Uh, the idea is private land to be uh, authorized to create a special jurisdiction. The jurisdictions have an internal autonomy regulation that is controlled by an initial charter which set the rules for the zone and how to change them. Um, also, what what the aim of the zone is. So one of the big see free zones have failed. There's enough free zones in the world, and enough countries with free zones in the world that we know which are the ones that fail the most. And the ones that fail the most are those that that the location is decided by government, and that they are. And, and the second reason is that they're. Uh, public land backed by public funds forcing an economic uh, economic activity in an area that does not have the quality for whatever they're trying to create. Um, and that's usually been the main reason for the failure of free zones around the world. So in this case, it's a private land that there's a private owner that you know they can partner up with uh, with a ZEDE developer or develop it on by themselves. Uh, and that jurisdiction has is still within a municipality, is still within Honduras, but has the regulatory possibility of modifying uh, rules, both the financial sector, uh, you know, uh, health sector, monet monetary, uh, immigration. But what we have learned in this process, and most of the people that initially came uh, interested in this this regulation, like the autonomy part. And when we go into the practice, you have to be, there's a lot of real pol real politics to, to, to have to, to put into this. And, and there's, there's reality that you have to deal with uh, public opinion. And also there, since within, so the, the framework goes like this, there's the Honduran constitution, there is all the treaties, that international treaties that Honduras has signed, and then the city law, and then internal normatives. They're not legislation, they're internal normatives for the ZEDE. So we don't call them laws, we don't call them legislation, it's internal internal normatives that have to be authorized uh, in order to be effective. Um, so that's the, in that order of categories, within, basically within what the constitution allows us, within what the ZEDE law allows us, and within what we, what we have to comply with all international treaties and all of their standards. So besides that, besides those limitations, that's what we can modify and and uh, and reform in order to allow for the different types of development that happen. The other thing is that these zones, they're not directed towards an industry. For example, there's a big difference between our zonas libres or free zones in, in Honduras and said is in that free zones are mainly all for export processes and do not allow for residents. ZEDES do allow residents and do allow for uh, an internal economy. But regarding a penal code, we have everything that's illegal in Honduras is illegal in the zones. Customs, we have to comply with international customs standards. 
and that goes from hazardous materials to prohibited items. We cannot participate in any illegal activity uh, regarding uh, international customs regulations. So there's been a lot said. There's a lot. There's a lot more details than, than just that. But it, so in, in, in general, it just this framework allows for many different industries uh, to work within the ZA law and you apply the parts that you want. You do not need to apply everything as some people, I think, have also tried, but it's limiting uh, to what you need and eventually scaling up in regulations and normatives. Right. So that, that means you don't have to you know, plan everything beforehand. You can't. I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake to plan everything from the start and say that you have all of your book of regulations. That's that you're tying yourself to a lot of unknowns and creating problems where there shouldn't be problems. Because if you're starting a, starting a new economic activity area, where there's little or none, and you are, and you have normatives for complex procedures like producing, uh, let's say, you know, intellectual property for the manufacturing of new health, you know, health uh, sector products. That usually involves ethics issues, involves human trials, involves. So if you if you set up those normatives from the start, then you're already running into trouble because you allow people's minds to run into all of the problems and not build up when you need it as you need it. So it's it really is what it's it's I consider it better that it's 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 better to do a bottom up it's it's ZAs are a bottom up approach, but to to really do instead of a centrally planned, I will plan the whole framework, it's let's go setting up frameworks for only for what we need. And that keeps it, uh, it's it's a lean management, lean lean startup idea, but it's um, you, you only create what you need. Uh, otherwise, you get distracted and create problems where there shouldn't be. Costa Rica, one of Latin America's most thriving economies, is betting on foreign capital to boost its economic recovery. It has passed a new piece of legislation called Law to Attract Investors, Retirees and Pensioners. Before the pandemic, foreign investment and trade liberalization were the cornerstones of Costa Rica's 25 years of steady economic growth. A rarity in Latin America, Costa Rica has enjoyed political stability and health institutions reflected in competitive development indicators. Although its economy contracted by 4.6% in 2020, Costa Rica will grow 2.6% in 2021 and 3.3% in 2022, according to the World Bank. Costa Rica ranks among the world's best places to retire. Besides stunning beaches and warm weather year-round, the country is now offering better immigration benefits and extended tax incentives to lure new residents and investors. Retirees with a minimum pension of $1,000 and those who can demonstrate a monthly income higher than $2,500 can move to Costa Rica and enjoy fiscal perks. For investors, the new law reduces the minimum amount from $200,000 to $150,000. Investors can allocate those funds to real estate, registrable assets, stocks, securities, and productive investments. Another change is that now investors will receive a 10-year residence permit. 
up from the previous two years and can extend it for five years. The new law will provide investors and retirees the following benefits. Exemption of import duties on household goods. Exemption of import duties on up to two vehicles for personal use. Income tax exemption on earnings qualified under the law. A 20% reduction of the transfer tax on assets acquired in Costa Rica. Exemption of import duties for assets used in a professional or scientific capacity. The Costa Rican government will set up a single-stop shop to assist individuals wishing to enter the country under the investor and retiree categories. Those interested can submit their applications until July 2026. If approved, investors and retirees will enjoy the incentives for 10 years. To learn more about investment and entrepreneurship opportunities in Costa Rica, reach out the country's investment agency promotion or follow our work at econamericas.com. Right here at Econ Americas, we have been following this topic for a long time. And initially, I've got to be honest, we were skeptical because for years, uh, nothing seemed to come out of it. Um, there was a controversial uh, constitutional amendment. Many leaders of the, uh, you know, the initial project abandoned it. But last year, amid the pandemic, and uh, we were surprised. I think uh, many were surprised to see the first that emerge uh, in the island of Roatan, and it's called uh, Prospera Honduras. And we have a backgrounder on that that we'll put in the show notes. So how, how many other Zetas have emerged since, since and what are their selling points? Because and as you said, each Zeta can specialize if they choose, of course. And, and I know of three so far, but maybe there are more in the works. No, there's there's only three approved and functioning sedes. The so you you've mentioned Prospera, which have their own particular. It's more of a city scale project. Uh, then you have Sede Morazan, which is a manufacturing, logistics, uh, health sector oriented sede with residents, um, which is out here in in a town next to San Pedro Sula in Choloma. Uh, and then uh, Sede Orquidia, which is the one that I participate in, which is a a single entity agro-industrial park for export. So um, this is really an export project. What we are, it's an $85 million uh, investment project. Now uh, will be fully built in four years, employing around 3,000 people, 2,700 to be ex as expected exactly. And, um, and the pro project will begin exporting uh, in January, 2022. So uh, we have already there's a, a workforce of over 400 people already. We started in November, um, and we and all of our, our normatives are are basically around how to export food products. Uh, that's all we that's all we 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 basically do uh, in this sector. But we can do other districts as well. But uh, for now, uh, this is an agro. We found a niche for agro-industrial and agro and forestry pro uh, projects then need the extra layer of uh, rule of law or stability you know political and risk stability that allows for investors to to take the step forward and and start their project what there's there's many projects in the agricultural sector in Honduras that don't get going because 
they are afraid or worried about uh, land squatters or uh, wrong land titles uh, and, and other issues of weak rule of law, weak institutions that don't allow for higher uh, projects that are in higher technology or higher investment uh, to get started. So in this case, we we what we what we as Orchid Properties, which is a Zeta developer and administrator, we're a private Delaware corporation, um, and what we do is we help to look for other projects who need these layers of security and allow and, and accompany them in creating the the framework where their investors uh, feel comfortable, and that include that can include banks, in, include uh, feel comfortable to allow for the investment to happen and uh, and uh, open their doors to the production cycle that that they've decided to to venture in so we don't own land we partner with entities and we accompany them with the regulatory framework to allow for these projects to happen right so thinking from the perspective of an investor why would he or she choose a zeta instead of a free zone like you said as there are many across central america what is the main um, opportunity? There's there's several. In, in practice, uh, the Honduran government will does not give authorization for uh, free zones that are in the ag sector. Uh, they they give uh, they authorize um, mainly so, so agroindustrial parks are not authorized uh, as free zones. Uh, so so most of the sector acts or it's really hard and it takes years to get your authorization as it has happened to some of the shrimp farms and the uh, and some of the fruit export companies, the newer ones that like, for example, the cantaloupe and, and melon exporters, which now are, 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 are as a product that goes around the world uh, from Honduras, it, take, it, it takes years to get these authorization. In this case, with the, the project that we have right now with the company AgroAlfa, um, it's a, it's, it'll be the largest the largest greenhouse uh, project for um, vegetables, horticulture exports in Central America, the 160 hectares of um, of greenhouses with uh, controlled irrigation. Um, so uh, one of the reasons why someone would go for the Zeta law is because of the quick process to get started once you have the land or once you have, you can prove initial investment but also that there's other areas in which the Honduran government usually gets stuck on with industry, um, allowing industry within the free zone. So Honduras does not have healthcare and health producing free zone uh, opportunities. It took about 20 years to allow for the service sector to enter uh, free zones. And that was the first case was uh, the uh, business park, which is a, mainly a call center BPO operation. So you can have that, but you, but you still did not have a uh, software development industry. You don't have a lot of other professional industries, but in particular, what we, what we saw is that there's so much land in Honduras that is of suboptimal use, that there's a lot of projects that once you clear certain hurdles, certain stability hurdles or certain political risk hurdles, then that allows for investment to come into uh, agricultural areas that that has a huge impact in areas that usually have people leaving 
and send remittances years later, but if they go to the cities or they leave the country so we can bring the impact, the economic impact to areas that, that with much needed opportunities. Uh, we have seen, and in some of the interviews that we, that we do with uh, employees in Sedorquidia uh, is their income has doubled immediately from, the, from all of the last options that they had in the area around where they live at. Doubled, we have some tripled, and others even more because work was occasional. So now we've offered a stable opportunity, which um, that economic growth is immediately pouring into the town where we're closest to. And now uh, income, uh, not only family income is going up, but the cost of uh, employment is going up, which also, uh, says it's a clear improvement uh, that conditions are better in the town and in the rural area around around where we are uh, uh, developing the project. I see. Interesting. And what about the Zere as a product uh, unto itself? Um, how easy it is for a foreigner just to go to Honduras, um, buy a plot of land, set up their own rules, and start inviting companies in? Uh, what are the sort of requirements? I would say that it's not easy. I would say that if as a foreigner, you think that you can apply any rules that you want and all, all flexibilization as you would like, I say that you first need to prove to your neighbors, to your municipality where you're operating that what you're doing is good. Uh, if you start with unrealistic ideas, you create, uh, you lose or you just never built the trust. You have to be, you have to have the mentality of a good neighbor because you will be surrounded by other people. Uh, in our case, like in our case, we're not on coastal land. We don't see Honduras as a problem. We see Honduras as where we are. Uh, so you have to connect with the local economy. If you think you're going to have uh, an economic island, then I recommend you don't look at Zetas and you don't look at At, at coming to invest here because you will run into social problems all across. You will you will not be able to tie in with the international systems that you need to be a part of for your economy to grow. That includes the international banking system, international customs systems. Um, you will be followed by human rights organizations. So you have to you have to be smart about these type of projects and not just say, oh, we can do any rules that we would like. Yeah, it sounds like these uh, adventures just some libertarian uh, folks try to set up in many countries, in Chile, in Argentina, and they run into many kinds of problems because they, of course, they they were not aware of the uh, complex reality of, of Latin America in general. Or anywhere, anywhere. Those type of tricks have failed everywhere when you don't take into consideration that you're doing it around someone else. And that there are certain international rules, especially since World War II, uh, where, where you had the United Nations and then the World Trade Organization, the World Customs Organization, and, and you know international human rights courts and all of this stuff that comes with the package, energy, international energy uh, administrations, um, that you have to comply through, through international standards. And, and there are certain rules which you might question, but you, what, you, what you should do is try to improve them as much as possible within the system, uh, which is what allows us because what international treaties that, that most countries in the world have have signed, the treaties set standards. They don't tell you how to do things. And I, the standards aren't necessarily bad. 
what usually is the problem, the bureaucratic problem is on how to reach the standard when they say you get to fill out 40 paperwork or, or hire certain amount, you know, certain people or authorized personnel in order to do these processes. And, 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 and when you create that bureaucracy, that's the problem that we usually don't like. And that's the problem that uh, hinders economic development once you've understood the rules that you're under. But if you're, if you, you have to understand them that there is an international system and you have to work within that international system. Otherwise, you will run into many more problems than, you, than you're asking for. And it's better, as I, as I told you earlier, to, find, to, to figure out how you fit in this international order and then start building up and then modernize and then invent and then you know, uh, do all of these opportunities that the, that the regulation allows. But don't think that you are, you're going to act as, is, as if you're in a different planet. So in this sense... Have you seen interest more from, you know, U.S., uh, Canadian or European investors or also from Latin American uh, residents, maybe from Panama, Costa Rica? I don't know. What is the interest that you're seeing? And I think investment here is, is more initially it was it was somewhat ideological investment and some adventurous investments such as 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 the the, the tech industry which has excess funds to to invest in adventurous projects um and that we've seen that in many you know from from space to zeus you know from all, all all across but um but now that the cities are real and that people can go visit now we're seeing uh interest which i consider to be the best in this interest is is Honduran interest is local landowners local investors and in, in, in our case we have a local bank also involved in our project so by having local uh, or people that already know how to run businesses in Honduras that know how to employ people in Honduras that know how to comply with the Honduran system if you now allow for these new regulations to also come up then it's those people who have an advantage and that can go out to bring other investors into their projects. I would say, you know, like, like if you were to do a forestry project or another agro, agro production project, if you know the system or at least know how to involve stakeholders around you, then you can also prove to international and institutional investors that your project or you know how to implement a project uh, of the industry that you're doing and that their investment is safe because of the regulatory framework which you are now providing. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's really, it's coming in from any country in specific. It's from people um, that are looking at opportunities. And I would say that there is a certain interest that has been uh, there for a good while, which has been people that already work within the free zone industry. So that the, the, those that, that industry is, is always looking for new, uh, markets or new regulatory frameworks that allow for their manufacturing uh, or remanufacturing or value-added operations to exist. Um, so this that, that's one of the big industries that we have seen of interest in this area. Sure. And of course, this is very all very new and hard to predict, but where do you see the Zetis uh, experiment heading to? And what kinds of innovations do you think the Zetis will uh, promote and maybe be copied in Honduras and, and abroad? What do you think is going to uh, happen in that sense? Uh, I would say that it's um, initially, if more projects come in that are very conscious of their surroundings, 
um, then I would I think that we have a good um, outlook with with Cetis. If projects come that want to be independent islands, that's not going to be good. So, but but in the in timeline, first of all, is uh, we have these general elections uh, in November. So also it depends on most if not all op- main opposition parties have spoken against Zedis and, and saying that they would repeal them if they come to power. Um, the repealing process is not a simple one. Uh, so it's so it's not just uh, a lot of it is, pos- is plain politics. But if the current administration or the current party stays in power, then obviously we see stability there. If there's a change in power, we're going to see, uh, it depends on how Congress is structured. Uh, because you need two legislations to change the, the law uh, and a referendum for resident on the residents. So if there's residents in Zedes, you have to do a referendum first um, and then do a legislative change in two legislations. So that would mean that the earliest, if, if everything went bad for Zedes and an opposition party that is keen on taking out the Zetas in particular, it doesn't matter what ideology, I'm just talking about taking out the Zetas for whatever reason they believe in, uh, they would need to have two thirds vote in Congress, they would need and to vote in two different legislations. So that would mean that the first uh, vote would happen somewhere around February 2022. And the next vote would have to happen around February 2023. So that gives us Two good years. You're a good, yeah. Basically, we've got a two-year horizon in which we know the legislation is there. And if the legislation changes, there is at least a ten-year period in which whatever is changed does not affect the projects that have already started. Um, this is this is a, 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 an investment protection clause that is that is common in. In, um, in CAFTA, for example, in the Central American Free Trade Agreement. It's common in many free trade agreements in which rules, let's say that once things change or if something has changed, it doesn't apply for a certain period uh, back. So uh, I think there's, 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 there's more stability than what some of the political opposition says uh, regarding this, but, but we have to be uh, understanding of the surrounding and the reality that we're doing. And that would, that, that's gonna say a lot about what we do and, and the future of the ZA project in the country. Of course. Yeah. And we have also seen some uh, news reports about uh, local opposition to some ZS. And um, are these opposition uh, movements ideological or are they more to do with the fact that the ruling party has spearheaded the ZERE uh, amendment process? It's all of those. It's some are ideological some are, um, I'll say everyone against it is definitely against it because of the official party, because it's been in power for three periods, which is the longest uh, that a party has been in power con- uh, consecutively since the 1982 um, constitution came into effect. So there's obviously uh, you know political push to try to change the administration, but then there, then you have also a lot of people who are against this economic development model, uh, who feel that it creates elites or or a special interest or uh, favored groups because it allows for 
uh, the end of some unnecessary bureaucratic processes that it doesn't allow them to have. We have always thought that this legislation is to prove concepts, not to create islands, and, and that those good concepts should spread to the rest of the country. The wish is, you know, those that, that those of us that were in Congress when these things were that the legislation was passed, our idea was that these these good rules work as osmosis into the rest of the economy, into the rest of the country. And uh, with that, the rest of Honduras learns and improves. Um, that's the that was the purpose of it. This is an economic development model, not to create economic elites. Uh, so then then besides those those opposition groups. Then you have all of the conf the confused people, which don't really know why they're against it, uh, but they know they're against the party or they're against uh, a model or ideologically inclined in a certain other way, but in general confused. And when when we measure public opinion, usually it's somewhere between fifty and sixty percent of people uh, that are asked uh, during these these. Um, these polling, uh, they have no opinion on cities. So it's it's a certain sector of the economy that, of the of the country that has it, but there's a large population that is not that does not clearly have uh, an idea of why they would be against. I see. Well, these are very exciting times, and uh, you know we'll keep following these areas uh, evolution for the years to come, because as you said, it has uh, at least some uh, ten years uh, down the road. So. Guillermo, if you want to leave us with a final thought on not only Zeres, Honduras, or, or even trends in, in, in the world you are seeing that is going to shape uh, the way we do uh, business around this region. I think I think there's, uh, I would like to take the opportunity to say that there is a huge opportunity in the energy sector as Honduras uh, stayed far behind Guatemala and El Salvador as they reformed in the in the mid 90s. Uh, Honduras had not reformed and opened its its um, energy sector. So now, uh, after a couple of years of fighting the system, and and now that it's these are many of the rules needed for private investment are in place. Uh, now we can call in for investment in transmission and substations and distribution sectors. Um, there's a higher security now for the payment and generation, uh, in power generation. Um, and the legislation also allows for new ways of, or new, new energy uh, mechanisms to come into the country that before would be of too high of a risk. For example, natural gas, uh, that there was no natural gas investment in the country. So within the energy sector, there's a lot of infrastructure parts and, uh, and uh, uh, and market elements that are now possible, um, such as also the, the liberation, say the private sector, that uh, a good now over 300 companies uh, are above the threshold to, per, to do private private to private contracts in, in the energy sector, just like it can happen in, in Guatemala, like it happens in um, in Colombia, like it happens in certain parts of the states, like it happens in Chile uh, and in Peru. So that would be the, the models, the energy models that we're following. And um, I would say that's a really important area because it, it's a strategic area for the economy. If we do not have stable and accessible power, then we cannot develop more <laughs> complex economies. So um, that's it's, it, it sounds basic, but there's a huge opportunity there for anyone interested. Definitely. And we will also include it in our radar. So we'll keep... Uh... Uh, all our listeners posted on the developments. Guillermo, thank you so much for coming on the show. You 
can follow Guillermo. He's on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, maybe some other social media. And we'll put all the link in the show notes. You can check it out at econamericas.com slash podcast. Uh, please follow us on all the major social media platforms we are on and leave us your comments, your suggestions, which topics uh, we should cover. We're all ears. So thank you once again and see you next month.